0: Hello, I am the mighty Jaggaface of the Holy Hadjastic massive of Rodan foe, or you can call me Emma. He's Mike talking to me through the magic of the interpipes to talk to us about Series One of Doctor Who. No, not that Series One from '63. The other Series ones from 2005. Yeah, that one. Um, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one in colour. So we're um, we're hoving in on 10 years since this went out. Frighteningly enough. Oh
1: God, that um, is scary.
0: It is frightening. A lot of water has passed under the bridge Mm
1: -hmm. since
0: then, Um, so we thought what better a time in that we've got a new Doctor on the horizon, um, the 50th anniversary, Christmas again, go and look back at Series 1 and um, just sort of share our thoughts on it. So uh, Mike, why don't you kick us off? So take us back in time and space, (laughs) back to April, I think it was, 2005. How are you feeling in the run-up? to to, uh, the series coming back?
1: Well, it had been going around in the papers quite a bit. Obviously, the series was coming back. It was a big deal. But the papers, in the usual sort of snarky way about Doctor Who, as, you know, it was kind of deserved at the time, often, like, threw up those joke- you know actors to play the ninth doctor well you know mm-hmm. we didn't i don't think we really knew it was going to be the ninth doctor it was just the doctors you know so sort of things like magician paul daniels and you know all that sort of st- stuff and i remember there being a big hullabaloo of, of billy piper's casting
2: because yes. everybody was like oh
1: what that girl who did those few songs and then married chris Evans and <laughs> A... We went on
0: a basically an 18 month bender. Yeah. Um, so, uh, non Englishers or those of uh, a certain age who may not know who Billy Piper is, I don't know, Mike, if you want to edit drop because we want to into this gap here. Um, um, copyright. Yeah, okay. Um, Billy Piper at the age of what, about 14, 15, was um, so yeah, uh, suddenly came out of nowhere and had this sort of pop career. Uh, pre Britney Spears of this kind of very kind of bubblegum pop Mm. kind of smash hits, friendly, radio friendly kind of stuff. Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll say maybe for the curious, if you want to have a look at her music on YouTube uh, on your own head, be it. So, but she'd faded into obscurity with the rise of uh, sort of the, the third wave of the boy band and young ingenue pop stars out of America. Yeah. And then went on to marry, Disgraced at the time, Radio 1, the biggest radio station probably in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the time, Chris Evans, who was considerably older than her and mm-hmm. famously wooed her via the medium of buying her very expensive cart and filling it with roses, <laughs> uh, which apparently worked. And then they w- got married and went on, like I say, an 18-month holiday which they were often packed, getting pissed and annoying the locals. So when um, her casting was announced, everyone went, "What?" Yeah, because uh, she wasn't. Re- Although she'd, uh, I think she'd gone to uh, to like a theatre school. Um, she wasn't well known for her acting. I think she'd just done uh, the Canterbury Tales adaptation, in which she was the best thing by far, and it was quite well received. But when people found out that she was going to be going into this i think i was among the skeptical
1: yeah
0: i just thought why on earth have they cast a sort of has-been pop star um who uh, to me wasn't really known for the acting and was only really sort of starting to get praise for her work Hmm. i just couldn't understand why they'd cast her at the time i mean obviously it becomes apparent as As you go along, but um, in the run up, I was quite uh, I was uh, very much in the sceptical camp.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like going around that, you know, it's it's sort of sort of sent a big red flag up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, once they announced Christopher Eccleston, I I remember thinking, okay, now that's sort of that's better, you know, because he's he's a pretty well known actor. He's, He's a very good actor. And yes. um, the fact that Russell T. Davis um, was running it, um, also filled me a lot of confidence, obviously, because he's done some good stuff before, and including The uh, Second Coming, which also starred Christopher Eccleston. And um, so, all in all, I was sort of like... I, is it, I was I was thinking, oh, I was, honestly, I was thinking, please let this be good, please let this work. Because yes, oh, definitely. I, I think everybody was... Th- especially all the Who fans was, were thinking this, because, you know... If if this has failed, you know, I, I think probably even if it failed and the BBC had canned it, I don't even know if we'd be doing this show.
0: No, I don't think so. I don't think we'd be doing this show. I don't think a lot of us maybe might even know each other. Mm. It's, you know, I think there's probably some parallel universe which has happened, but yeah. I mean, as well as being Doctor Who fans, we both crave and expect failure yeah. um, and disappointment. And in the wake of the TV movie in 96, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were sitting down to watch this thinking, is this going to be the TV movie all over again? Yeah. I think, um, because as well, not just the TV movie, but we, as a group, a fandom... We'd lived through so many false starts and false promises and Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a movie and there's going to be a TV series and this guy's been cast, that guy's been cast. And it just, it went on and on and on. I mean, even when they announced that the show was coming back, I thought, nah, it's another one of those, like, you know, (laughs) Christopher Eccleston as a doctor, I'll get lost. You know, it was just one of those, it was just yet another rumour. And I don't think, I think I was among a lot of people and people that I've talked to since, of saying until it was on my screen, I didn't believe it yeah even even watching the trailers and even watching you know reading doctor who magazine i just i could not believe that this was actually a going concern and for the show to do as well as it did Mm. right off the bat um which is probably saying we'll come to towards the end of this discussion uh but let's get into rose so let's meet our new protagonist we have rose tyler shop girl from london even though she doesn't have a london accent and it wavers quite a lot um because <laughs> um billy piper is from the west country rose should sound like i do essentially mm-hmm. and she doesn't but uh, if you can forgive it annoys me because i'm from the area she's pro- supposed to come from so um i notice it a lot
1: yeah <laughs>
0: If we'd
1: it though, it probably just
0: sounds. Oh, if initiated, it probably all sounds the same. Yeah. But um, oh yes. Um, so we she meets the doctor after he blows up her
1: shop. Yeah, it's a, it's a good first impression, isn't it?
0: <laughs> oh yes, yeah, very much so. Um, and so after some filling around with the autons and um, some dodgy gymnastics, <laughs> and the London Eye, Rose buggers off with the doctor, leaving her hapless boyfriend behind.
1: So your impressions of Rose? It, it's a good start i'll put it that way um i thought it was interesting that they brought back the autons as like the first one, yeah which, which actually when you think about it makes sense it makes the most sense for you know a shop worker like roses because mm. you know yeah. they're, they're all about and you know they could be animated plastic and you'd never know it um yeah i, I did like uh, i did like this episode i can still remember to this day though watching it on the on what's known in the business as TX, not the female Terminator, the what's called <laughs> the actual sort of transmission start, date. yeah, start and date. Yes. And I can still remember to this day when Rose is in the basement trying to find the chief electrician to give him the lottery money, and she's looking at all the shop dummies, which are Autons, and then there's this weird sort of like glitch that happened on the transmission where where some sound from Graham Norton show that was on before bled through into the, and I just, I thought it was some sort of part of the surreal atmosphere. I didn't realize that was a mistake. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great start. Some good bits by uh, Eccleston introducing, setting himself up as the ninth doctor. Um, For example, when they're in Rose's flat uh, that she shares with her mother, the, there's some great bits where he sort of, like, flicks through a book, like, really quickly, and goes, oh, sad ending, and he sees his reflection in the mirror, and it's, like, the shuffling of the cards. He just like like, massive curve shuffle, and then he tries it again, and it just explodes all over the place. Um, but what is probably his best bit, I think, is when he explains to Rose who, who he is, you know, it's like, you know how we were saying about uh, the earth turning, I can feel it. So the first time they tell you the world's turning, you just can't quite believe it because everything looks like it's standing still. So I can feel the turn of the earth, the ground beneath our feet, spinning at a thousand miles an hour, and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, and I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me clinging to the skin of this tiny little world, and if we let go... And he goes, that's who I am. I know that was just a great sort of... It's a great sort of way to reintroduce the mystery of who the Doctor is. Because what this show does is it doesn't really... I mean, they never refer to the Autons in the story as the Autons. It's no. it's very sort of like beginner level Doctor Who, if you know what I mean. It's like yeah, it's it's definitely entry level. Yeah, um, it's like it's it's trying to bring in a whole new audience. Obviously, sort like the Whoians are going to be watching it anyway, but you've got to try and bring in, you know, kids, families, you know, people who the old
0: the old guard in, yeah. yeah. Um... But like a, an entire
1: you know, an entire generation of people who grew up not having Doctor Hero, you know, in
0: that's me and you, that is. I mean, technically speaking. Yeah. Uh we we don't officially I mean officially he's our doctor because mm. he's the one that we grew up with in this sort of in the into who years. Yeah. For me Rose is um it's a I could only call it a solid episode. It's mm. it's one that I sort of give a C, you know, yeah. good but not great. It's um it's a fine episode uh for like you say it as an introduction to to this whole this whole sort of weird idea of Doctor Who and what mm-hmm. he does and I would say the autons are quite a safe enemy you're not throwing the Dalek straight in, you're not throwing no. the Cybermen straight in. And overall it works well enough. Mm-hmm. I mean it got ten million viewers all yeah. told. I mean if you think about it, that's the sixth of the population of this country tuning mm-hmm. in to watch it. Um it's, it did the job. I mean, there's stuff that doesn't work, um, like, for instance, Mickey getting eaten by the wheelie bin. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the less up. about... We have to bring that up yeah. um, because it's it's it, it's just one of those things. Um, unfortunately, I think looking back on it from the position we're in now to then, I think that the effect is kind of a little bit dated. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I think the whole way it's shot actually makes it look... Fro- it's very much of the 2005 kind of style of... Of television I think if you if you watch it in amongst um series 7 mm. um it looks quite different and yeah. um, I think it's kind of a little bit of that 80s thing of it starting to look a little bit faded compared to the new stuff
1: yeah it would be interesting to go back and see because as of this recording they've announced a, a complete series one through seven blu-ray with mm, that would be interesting series one through four upscaled into um 1080. So it would be interesting to just like go back to that and like see how well any of the effects in this series hold up because obviously you know technology always is always moving on and it gets a lot mm. better. But yeah, the the really been it makes sense because it's made of plastic. So why wouldn't it be animated? Oh yeah, why wouldn't it? I think it's the burp that yeah. kind of
0: puts a tin hat on it, um, yeah. but like you say, it was trying to uh, sort of appeal to everybody. It was trying mm. to get to families and kids and uh, undecided adults and what have you. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, as as it works for that, there's always going to be things in a pilot which don't quite work, yeah. and I think that might be a little uh, that might be on the doesn't work side for me. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's kind of trying to get used to this kind of more American style of television yeah i yeah. think as well um cuz russell t uh, davis always said that his reference point for series 1 was buffy the vampire slayer not mm-hmm. not a, american tv if you think about it in that context it makes sense the way the setup is much more is um much more buffy like than it is old who like yeah.
2: um
0: so that this whole idea that you have a big bad all the way through mm-hmm. um that the choice of audience identification figure. I mean, this is something that I've always said and I've said in Admiral's Tables and I think is a theory that holds water is that Doctor Who uh, post 2005 is not about the Doctor. It's about the companion Mm -hmm. because especially in this series, because Rose is ostensibly our audience identification figure. She's our way in to this series. You know, you've got the first episode of Doctor Who back on the screen after 16 years What's the first episode called? It's Rose. called Rose. It's named after the Companion. Exactly. Yeah. It's not called Meet the Doctor, mm-hmm. you know, or Auton something or other, or yeah. we, re- we Remade Spearhead from Space. Don't, don't please don't notice.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah actually, that, that is sort of, like the weird thing. It, it, there is a lot of Spearhead from Space like callbacks. Obviously, it's got the Autons in it, but it's the first episode of a new series that introduces a new Doctor in which mm-hmm. he combats the well, I say he combats the so he sort of juggles against them a bit, and they try and push him into the big molten vat of nesting consciousness, but they never really sort of manage it until Rose swings, and actually that's really kind of a crap ending, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, I think as well, there's another thing that's going to keep coming up, is this whole, the thing of it going into a 45-minute format. Yeah. Um, you feel like sometimes you're watching kind of episode three, out of a, four, a four-parter a four stretched yeah. out and then an ending tacked on. It, 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 it's something they're trying to get used to, I think. Again, it's that American influence of you have a 45-minute show
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, sort of in and out. It's, it's, they're throwing away this whole idea of not having a continuing story. Yeah. The idea of an overarching plot is very important to this series. Mm. But uh, you get the impression that, uh, obviously, because old f- fans of the show are making this again. Yeah. But their reference point for making Doctor Who is old Doctor Who, which had 100 minutes to tell a story, and they've only got 45. Mm. So it's like they're trying to make it a Doctor Who story, but not knowing how to compress it adequately. There's something that's always going to come up, even even now, I think, even in the wake of Series 7, we're saying, I wish they had another 15 minutes. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's especially telling in Series 1, which we'll come on to as we go forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the end of the world in which... Obviously the Rose has joined the Doctor for travelling and uh, he takes her forward to the year 5 billion in which the Earth is about to be destroyed by the Sun. The riches of the universe have gathered to watch the event on platform run but of course, this being Doctor Who, it's a sort of trouble at mill. Which
0: seems to delight the Doctor no end. He really only Mm. seems to start enjoying himself in this one when it all starts to go tits up. Yeah, This one, I think is interesting that you would... You have kind of a. If you're coming to Doctor Who brand new and you've, the first thing you've seen is Rose, and you tune in to watch this, yeah. and you'd see the mocks of Balhoun being wheeled into a room next to a, a big sheet of skin and a tree woman, mm-hmm. I think you would go. Some people just went, What the hell? and bailed at that point, I think. <laughs> um, especially when the mocks of Balhoon gobs in Rose's face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um. um, yeah, I say I think that it was quite a brave choice actually to say right now this now now we're mm. going to show you something weird. If you thought someone get eaten by a wheelie bin was strange, check, check this, this shit out. Yeah, yeah, um, it's quite an interesting idea actually. I quite like this whole thing of like really sort of throwing the audience in the deep end and saying right, this is a thing that travels in time. They're going to meet weird things and mm. weird things will happen. Get on board or sing your hook. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it it really is sort of like that to me um also i think what's interesting about this story is the way it portrays the doctor and his pretty harsh and actions towards cassandra essentially executing her at the end
1: hey well yeah um cassandra is this what she calls herself as the last human the last pure human Pure, pure human um in so much that she's a sort of sheet of skin with an eyes and a mouth sort of stretched over this sort of metal frame <laughs> and uh, a brain in her jaw below. And obviously because she's stretched out, she has these two attendants who have to moisturise right. uh. And at the end of the story, because uh, her sabotage causes the heat shields around Platform 1 to fail, it warms the place up and she gets pulled back onto Platform 1 without her attendants to moisturise her. And she overheats and dries out and bursts, basically. Which, that surprised me that bit. It did, actually, yeah. Not not only because of the doctors sort of, you know, effectively executing her. But the fact that when she splits, you see her eyeball fly over. Yeah, it's pretty grim. Yeah, that is messed up, that. I mean, Mm. I I can't... well actually there is there's an example later on where uh, later on in this series where that's sort of like the highest level of body horror going in this series i think I mean, in
0: this series, yeah, I mean something that the series copped a lot of flack for back in the day, mm-hmm. um the whole idea of um of body horror and you know it being too scary for children and what have you mm-hmm. again you you feel like um although again end of the world i think is i can only really call it an average episode it's enjoyable mm-hmm. i mean i really like uh the forest of cheam and all that sort of thing i really think that's a cool idea and yeah. i like uh you know i, just, I like the whole I, I quite like lady cassandra she's quite camp and
2: mm-hmm. quite fun oh,
0: yes. and quite quite a nice little quite a nice doctor who villain so quite um, camp Quite extremely camp, um, yeah. <laughs> and only becomes more so when we see her again. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I think it's this is the show really naming its colours to the wall and saying, mm-hmm. "Get on board with this kind of stuff," because this is where this is where it's going. Yeah. So really, it's almost giving people an out at this mm-hmm. point.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's very balls to the wall. I mean, yeah, in terms of the special effects.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you can see Rose, all the m- which,
1: which you are going from Rose, which is like sort of really rather CG like to this where you've got like platform one and, you know, the whole sequence at the end where the sun finally expands and just torches Earth and just completely wipes it out. I mean, that's sort of beautiful and horrifying at the same time and really quite sad. I mean, Rose even hints on it because they were too busy sorting their own shit out to notice the end of planet Earth. Gone?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it's sort of kind of, also it's sort of giving you this idea that this isn't going to be all fun all the time. No, as well, you know that there's going to be weird stuff and consequences, and uh, that the, the guy we, we're sort of throwing our lot in is pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Um, something that the Doctor makes reference to later on, once he's the Tenth Doctor, mm. in that he says to Rose about when she first met him, and you get the impression this is kind of right off the end of the Time War. That things have not long since passed, Um, even though there's quite a lot of continuity rails about that, which are too long and tedious to get into here. (laughs) um, The the whole idea that he has got immense survivor's guilt and is immensely damaged by what he's had to go through and what he's had to do, that he's kind of still in that warrior place in that, Mm -hmm. you know cassandra has stepped up to the line and then crossed over it so whatever happens to her that's she's she's chosen her fate effectively mm-hmm. um something i don't think we'd see later 10th or 11th doctor maybe do but here we re- like you say about Nanny colors to the mast in that this is fun but also he's not going to be messing around
1: oh yeah oh yeah and definitely damage is the right is the key word for the ninth doctor i think in terms of his characterization mm. definitely
0: very much so yeah, carry on. Sorry, I was going to say something, but I completely forgot. Please continue. <laughs> That's all right, I think. Well,
1: shall we move on to The Unquiet Dead? Let's move on to The Unquiet Dead. Yeah, so how did you feel about this one?
0: It was, again, it was sort of... By the time we are watching this, so I was mean, sitting on my sofa watching episode three. Mm-hmm. After having sort of enjoyed two episodes, but only really finding them okay... Mm-hmm um i had quite high hopes for this one it being a the first mark gatty script um it being sort of that victoriana kind of macabre thing that doctor Mm -hmm. who did so well again it's it's an episode that i enjoy but which is has flaws but which i think is out of the three we've had so far is the one i enjoyed the most yeah
1: three yeah i mean because it's it's sort of it is sort of like a very much a throwback to sort of like the Tom Baker, Philip Hinchcliffe sort of era. And you've got, you know, it's Victoriana, it's Christmas, you've got Charles Dickens, you've got ghosts who aren't really ghosts. And um, you know how you were saying in, in uh, End of the World about sort of like the Doctor's sort of um, own sort of code of morality. This is, this is I think, one of the worst cases where it, like really yeah. sort of okay. comes Because we have um, these ethereal creatures called the Gelf. Who are appearing as uh, ghosts in uh, Cardiff. And they claim that what they want to do is, because they've lost the corporeal forms, they want to uh, possess the dead. And. um, Seems legit. Yeah. And the doctor sort of like has this. uh, He sort of like tries to like pass it off as like recycling. You know, and um, when Rose. It's like keeps calling it out. Oh, this, this is this is the new morality. You either get used to it or go home, and that's that's kind of probably one of the more darker moments where he actually like snaps it. Out. I mean, there's a bigger one coming up, mm. um, but it, it sort of like gives a good sign sign of like how sort of like, skewed the doctors become, because mm. it's not the sort of thing you'd see any of his previous incarnations sort of being okay with. No, I mean the the previous
0: incarnations, you got the impression saw the big picture. Mm. If if we're in a situation where the companion said, "Look, this is wrong," you know, this is immoral. Yeah. The Doctor is always going to look at it from an outsider's perspective, in that there's a bigger thing happening here than you on Earth can cope with, essentially. Mm. But here, it it comes across as really bitter and snarky, and he's quite that he's what like that all the way through the episode. Yeah. He's sort of quite yeah. you know, quite black about it all and to to kind of snap at her about something which is clearly dodgy. Mm-hmm. I mean you haven't got to have a PhD to realise that the geth are a bad news and yeah. you know they helpfully turn red and have pointy teeth when they uh, get cheesed <laughs> off so just to really hammer that home yeah. um but yeah you, you it's just sort of a weird position for the doctor to take i couldn't it, say if this was the fourth or fifth or even i think even the sixth doctor who's maybe the most morally ambiguous of our previ- predecessors mm-hmm. maybe even the seventh i can't see that either those two being down with this idea no you know, um, you feel like he would find the better alternative than him, than these things possessing the dead.
1: Yeah. Um, obviously, it's all a ruse, and they're coming. They want to try and come through in their billions and possess. You know, everybody. Everybody. Um, so, how this is the first Doctor Who the new series to feature what what they used to call a historical celebrity in in so much Charles Dickens played by Simon Callow um how did you feel about it because i think a, a lot of people often like refer to Vincent and the, and the doctor as being sort of like the, the big one for having you know a troubled real historical person and then the doctor comes in and, and um makes things a little better for them and this is kind of like where it starts because mm. obviously um dickens is very disillusioned about his life and the whole incident with the Gelf sort of gives him a new sense, renewed sense of wonder. I mean, he even says about changing the, the ending to the mystery of Edwin Drood, it's like having the as a, a blue elemental, so as in reference to the gulf. But in, and in the same way as as Vincent and the Doctor, it's got a very sort of bittersweet ending to it because in Vincent and the Doctor, obviously Vincent still. Ends up killing himself, he still commits suicide. Yeah. And in this one, um, you have Dickens at the end. He's got his full joie de vivre and he's talking about finishing the mystery of Edwin Drood. And then inside the TARDIS, the doctor says to Rose, you know, he'll, he'll never finish it. He'll, he'll die the next year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think. If it wasn't so well played by Simon Callow, who, um, again, if you're not from this country, you may not know that Simon Callow's kind of made a, a cottage industry of actually playing Charles Dickens on the stage, <laughs> uh, re- recreating his speaking tours and what have you. Mm. Um, so if you're going to get someone to play Charles Dickens, Simon Callow's your man, and he does it brilliantly. Yeah. So I think if this, if this, if he'd been bad... Maybe this idea wouldn't have had legs, and we wouldn't have had one every virtually every year since. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't put this in the same bracket as Vincent the Doctor because oh, no. I think Vincent the Doctor is a far superior story, frankly. Oh, definitely. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think for me it comes down to it. it doesn't grate on me that much because you know it's well performed, mm-hmm. but it did sort of throw me a little bit on transmission that it, although the Doctor is a horrendous name dropper, yeah. you didn't you did hardly ever met the person. That he's referencing, or see the adventure that they went on. It was always just oh, you know, Madame Nostradamus did this or that for me, or yeah. you know, I met such and such a person, or I did such and such a thing in such and such a time. So to kind of have it thrown in your face was sort of a bit, bit new. Hmm. But um, I'd say it's, it's a story which is is good and solid, and it works, and it was it sort of again it gave them a foundation to go off.
1: Yeah. And it also has the uh, Hooniverse debut of uh, Eve Miles uh, playing... Hooray! Woody.
0: Yes. I love, e- I love Eve Miles. It's, it's not her fault that Gwen sucks ass um, <laughs> and is an awful, yes. awful woman. Um, <laughs> uh, Tell but us Eve what Miles, you really think, Emmett. Oh, well, I've, uh, my, my, my feelings on Talk to it are well known, but... Um, <laughs> no eve miles is a fabulous actress and she's one of those people i would just sort of be happily watching read the phone book um so yeah i'm I'm glad that they got her back in even though you do get and you get a nice cheesy reference to this back in the stolen earth journey's end so all Uh, good
1: god all right (laughs) oh god maybe remind me me of that just so clumsy and unnecessary.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. it was at the time because it was sort of it was a fun episode. So when they bring it up, you're like, oh, well, you go with it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what did you what did you make of it at the time?
1: Uh, I really quite liked it. I, I quite liked it. You can't really say more than that. I'd think about this. Yeah, story. yeah. Uh, what we'll find with series one is it does get better. Um, but I think I probably out of the three so far, this probably. I'll probably put that as my favorite of the three. because yes. again like we've like we've said throughout uh, the series so far as when the BBC do period they do it brilliantly and it yes. just looks the part and it just, uh, feels
0: like it. it's convincing. Yes. You even if the story is is this you you go with it because it seems so right. Yeah. Um absolutely. and as well as as a as a nation we're quite used to these kind of Victoriana ghost stories. Mm. Um, not just through Doctor Who, but uh, also at Christmas, used to be a tradition of you get these kind of weird portmanteau um, little serials, uh, like these sort of Penny Dreadful type things that they put on at Christmas, which are often Victorian or twenties, um, mm. you know, featuring uh, the the respected actors of the day. So as a nation, we're quite used to this like this sort of setup essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's a solid episode, I would say. Yes, yeah, you
0: can't you can't say any more than that. Yeah. So,
1: let's move on to probably. Do you think this is sort of like Nadir of the uh, the first series, Aliens in London and World War Three? III. War
0: Three. III. I wouldn't. I I think that the Nadir is coming up. Oh, um, I don't. I think that there is a, a worse episode in there than hmm. this with Aliens of London. It's one of those things of there's loads. It's one of ones that there's a lot to enjoy. Um, yeah. As soon as uh, Penelope Wilton, as Harriet Jones MP for Fly Down North, yes, we know who you are. As soon as she turns up, it's yeah. like, oh, wonderful, breath of yeah. fresh air. But there is so much sort of going wrong in this story. Um, yeah. I, I, I quite, I mean, as bad as the Slovene look, and let's not sugarcoat this. They look pretty bad. Yeah. They're probably the least successful monster they've had since the return, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like this whole idea of them being zipped into larger people. And I thought that was quite a fun idea yeah. and, you know, this sort of thing. But again, it's kind of all the fart gags and yeah. the, and the, uh, you know, shaking my booty and all this sort of thing. You just think, oh, free. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: yeah, it, it, there's sort of bits in it which don't, work for me i think the thing that really grates my cheese about these two episodes is the rose mickey jackie stuff um Mm. because i think for mickey to have been suspected of murdering rose Mm. and then be fine with it yeah is really weird choice to make and put in this episode. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: you know, you, you understand that Jackie would be furious with the doctor and slap the mm-hmm. taste out of his mouth, you know, when she sees him.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but this whole idea of her being, you know, and he's made a mistake and she's been gone for a year and all this sort of thing we should have been only gone like, what, 12 hours or something. Mm-hmm. But to have, you know, all this thing of Mickey, you know, being suspected of her murder and Jackie, right, orchestrates a poison pen campaign against him, you know, and then by the end they're all knocking around and, You know, this is the beginning of Rose treating Mickey like absolute dog shit. And I really hate that aspect of her character. She's such a cow to him. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's thing of like, you may not like Mickey's character or think he's a bit cheesy or whatever. But for your audience identification figure, be that much of a shit heap to another another one. Mm -hmm. And then not be like, do it for an episode and then... You know, there's a character change, yeah. and you know the, they come to they reconcile, and you know then they leave friends, mm-hmm. if not you know obviously not a couple anymore, but friends, and Jackie's fine, but to leave this kind of festering kind of stuff that kind of that continues on and into series two and series uh, series three.
1: Um, no, not no. Se- but
0: series two, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I don't like those aspects of it. I mean, I think it's a bit of Russell T's love of the old kitchen sink drama
2: coming
1: mm-hmm. in. Yeah, I mean, I, on paper, it, it sounds good because one of the things Doctor Who never really did when it had, like, the companions from Earth was once they sort of, like, started journeying with the Doctor, there was never really any mention of their lives before or no. after, really. So... It sort of makes sense for, you know. Also, it sort of ties in with the Doctor not really being able to control the TARDIS properly, and he brings her back like a year after she originally left, and uh, and all that. I mean, that that that's fine. I'm I'm quite happy. That's a good. That's a good bit. It's a good idea. And I wasn't. And like you say, I wasn't. I didn't have a problem with Jackie being furious with Rose, and you know, smacking the Doctor one. It, it, again, it's like the whole Mickey being. Framed for murder. Well, not really framed for. Accused of like murdering her and hiding her body somewhere. Uh, it's just really sort of like, like whoa, like what? Yeah, it seems
0: a bit. It seems a bit of a step too far. I yeah. agree that I agree that I like that there's consequences to her going, and that there's yeah. families who are concerned about them. You know, and this is something that we see even right up to series seven, where the kids that Clara's looking after sus oh. out because they look oh, it careful. Um, no. Not just the kids. That they suss her out by looking her up on the internet, mm. which would happen.
1: Yeah,
0: right. If you're just yeah. googling somebody, it could no happen conceivably. So. You know, but this whole idea of there being, you know, a fallout from all of this—that yeah. that every every one of these people have people who love them, mm. and that they are stepping out of their lives. Yeah, that is fine. But to me, to the point of Mickey being accused of a murder. Yeah. And Jackie orchestrating um, a hate campaign against him—it's
1: more. EastEnders it's seemed too much.
0: It's, it's EastEnders more than yeah. it's Doctor Who, and I think, like I say, I think it's Russell T's um, sort of soapy mm-hmm. side coming out. And for me, it's a step too far. Yeah. Definitely, I feel a step too far. Maybe in in this series, you know, maybe if you'd had it in series five, where Amy buggers off and Rory's accused of killing her, or something like that, you know.
1: Mm, I don't know about that. I don't you know, know. well.
0: But you know, I'm yeah. saying it's it, it seems quite it seems pretty heavy for episode four of series one. If yeah. you wanted to put it in series four episode four of series five, go for your life when you're trying to say no. Uh-huh. That's all I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Oh, just to clarify, my like, <coughs> girl about um, the kids that Clara watches, just because I, I was remembered of uh, Nightmare and in Silver.
0: Silver. Yeah. Let's just... let's not think about that.
1: Uh, if you listen to the Admiral's table, in which I, Shane, and Mary talk about uh, the second half of series seven. I think you probably sort of like get how yeah. we. How I think maybe he's, more or less most of us feel about. Uh, oh no,
0: I feel if... I feel the same way that that nightmare in silver is that has thirty percent of a good episode, yeah, and it would have eighty percent except for those bloody kids who are dreadful yeah. from beginning to end, yeah.
1: Um, but I think. <sighs> There's a lot of good ideas in both Aliens of, in L- of London and World War Three. The fact yes. that the spaceship that appears over London is the whole thing is just like a setup for the Slovene to instigate their plans. That's fine, but it, again, it's just the Slovene themselves. Again, I mean,
0: it's one of those things that you know you have to suspend your disbelief yeah. in a, in this show, in all these shows, and. To be honest, I think this the Savine... I mean, when they're unzipping themselves out of the suits, okay, but when they start running around,
1: yeah,
0: and they're kind of so different from this, the computer modeled ones, yeah, it's so jarring. It just ca- catapults you out of the show
2: mm-hmm. and
0: kind of all the atmosphere that's been building and all your suspension of disbelief and all your kind of it just it explodes it into a tiny bit, million little bits and, um, You know, it's hard to pick up from there.
1: Yeah. The other thing that really sort of, like, pissed me off, that's actually pissed me off about this episode, was the cliffhanger. Now, not the cliffhanger itself, because that's sort of, like, traditional, oh, Doctor's in danger, he's, you know, is he going to die sort of thing. It was the fact that what this series started, and, of course, all the series beyond it have continued to do, is show a preview of the next episode. Now, when you have the first part of a two-part story, it's best not to give show the next time trailer directly after the cliffhanger.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to
0: say that was a very poor choice, and I think that that's, again, it, it's sort of a symptom of it being early days for the show. I mean, even, even with that, you would have thought someone would have said, uh, is that really a good idea? But... No. Um, you know it it's just one of those things that happens, and sometimes it's out of the production team's control because the the channel that it's on will insist on having a throw forward yeah. um you know it, to me it's sort of if if battle that that little weird thing they used to have on Battlestar mm-hmm. within the tribal bit of the um of the theme tune where they would show clips from the show what you're about to watch, yeah, if that's the worst thing, this is one step above it,
1: oh yeah, for me. See, it's, it's fine if it's just, like, bits with no sort of real context, so you don't know yeah. what's what. It's sort of like, you know, in NCIS, every time they go to a commercial break, there's always, like, that black and white few seconds of frame about, you know, how maybe he's, like, a part of the next, like, part yeah. of the, the show. Um, but the fact that they just tacked on the next time trailer, right, at, right after the cliffhanger, it was just mm-hmm. sort of like, what are you doing it's so thoughtless. it was extremely thoughtless and yeah. um yeah
0: it, 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 to me it just um you know like you say if you, you insist on your throw forward you could keep it quite vague mm-hmm. but for, i mean and you know it's episode four of a new series your hero isn't gonna die i mean well, you have to be pretty dumb to think that that might happen but um you know to really take any sort of mystery away by having him blatantly in it
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: it's just like well <clears throat> uh, you know you do wonder if anyone, you know, just looking at the, oh no, they didn't. I wonder if there was a bit of a drop off between in ratings, but actually the there were more viewers of World War Three than Aliens of London, oh. so there you go. Never mind. But yeah, I, you know, hopefully. It was one of those things, I think, that people who wanted to avoid it learnt to avoid it. Yeah. I mean, because I know people and I've had people around my house who will actively dive into the sofa, you know, <laughs> cram their faces into the cushion and put their hands over their ears as soon as the little interstitial kind of logo comes up and, you mm-hmm. know, the throw forward is coming. Yeah. Um, so you regard this as the nadir of the series then,
1: do you? Um, I would say there's... It's sort of like a three-way tie between... These two and maybe Boomtown. So we'll see. Oh, Sharpin, take a breath. Mm.
0: Okay, let's move on to Dalek. Yes, yes, indeed. This. Yeah, this this is the one. Now, this is a thing that. Um, Again, this is before I met uh, my my significant other mm-hmm. and started knocking it around with fellow fans. And he say, I didn't have, I wasn't online at this time. We didn't have internet at home, yeah. so you know, I knew that you know it was just through the TV time sort of thing that I knew that it was coming. Mm-hmm. And this was one where I said to my friends, "Look, do not call me. I won't answer. <laughs> I'm switching my phone off. I'm not coming out. I'm not taping this and coming back. I'm watching this." <laughs> And do not bother me because it was one of those things of like this is this is the this is the crunch moment because up to this point I was like it's okay and you know I mean you know I'm enjoying the episodes when they're on but I thought if they cock this up they are dead to me Mm -hmm. right so going into this one's a lot of expectation
1: yeah so you have the Doctor and uh, Rose arriving in 2012 which was a bit of the distant
0: space year of 2012
1: as it yeah in uh, Utah uh, where the come across uh, a collector of alien artifacts who has a uh, a living specimen who the doctor is not entirely too pleased about discovering who it is. No, Um, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the production team and Rob Shearman who wrote this episode, the onus was on them to like really make the Daleks scary again. Yeah. And I think they did it.
0: Oh yeah, most definitely. I think that it was a real work of genius mm-hmm. uh, to take, the, to have, say, right, we're going to have the Daleks back, but we're not going to have loads of them, just going to have one. Yeah. And to see the damage that one Dalek can do. Oh, yeah. It was important to show how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the end of the series and there's shitloads of them, you go, wow, oh, my God, they can't survive. Because yeah. you remember what happens to all and sundry virtually mm-hmm. in this one uh, with just one dalek which is out of its box mental Mm -hmm. and damaged as well it's not even fully functional so um yeah it was important to do that and it was it was quite important as well in terms of scripting because it was an adaptation of a a big finnish uh work audio Mm. called jubilee which is with the sixth doctor again it suffers maybe a little in terms of story it only takes kind of the best bits of Jubilee It's sort of this the what happens in Dalek is kind of the subplot of that of that uh, audio um I think that I would recommend it to uh people who are interested um it's very good but with this it was really the idea of right we've got this really good idea and let's make it work on tv and they did because this was the story that I thought this is gonna work Mm -hmm. this series has got it going on because um, it was given a second series commission after the first episode went out it wasn't a done deal by any sense in any way shape or form so um, knowing that we had another series coming at least at least another one this was the first episode where i thought yep they they know what they're doing they
1: nailed it this time yeah so how did you feel about um the dalek and its new abilities and its look
0: Well, I I quite like the look. I I quite like the bronzy colour ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I really love the design of the the Daleks anyway, so sort of the colour to a point doesn't really bother me. Um, So when you say new abilities, um, those of us who are spotty enough to have watched Remembrance of the Daleks (laughs) um, know that they can elevate, um, so that wasn't a surprise. But... um, The thing that really impressed me is that they showed its intelligence, that it takes out that whole room of guys with two shots Mm -hmm. from its gun. And I quite like the whole idea of sort of making the the sucker, um, which looks kind of comical because it looks like a toilet plunger, because it is, um, (laughs) you know, actually making that functional and a weapon, uh, but also a tool and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I quite like that because it makes sense in terms of Dalek design that you would have a plunger to fit on the little bumps. Yeah. on the skirt so um yeah i quite I, you know i like the designer i like that they made it dangerous mm-hmm. and um you know as well full of hate and really vicious
2: yeah which
0: is what we've always imagined the daleks to be but only really since only really you know only in this few episodes this one included
1: mm-hmm. also it's it's also kind of pathetic in some scenes when uh mm. obviously it's uh Gets its abilities back with um, Rose showing it some sympathy and you know putting her hand on its casing, and um, after it downloads the entire internet, of on there, yeah, up on <laughs> Neil, it. When he has, it has a chat with the talk with the doctor when it's holding Rose hostage. It says, uh, "You know, I scanned your databases and telescopes to find like signals from other Daleks," and when uh, the doctor goes, "What did you find?" And the Dalek goes. Nothing, and then the support just. Where well, will I get my orders now? Because it's like it's freaking out. Yeah. Because it it's so far removed from its own kind, and it doesn't know what to do. It's only got its sort of like core programming yeah. going for it.
0: Uh, as well, I think this episode is important because we get the start of the breakdown of the Doctor's defences. Almost mm-hmm. um, the whole "you would make a good Dalek" oh, is yeah. the thing that kind of backhands him into reality, and you know, almost sort of you sort of start to see a bit of a softening in that you know he, like, he realises what he's become, and also oh, yeah. the his you know the way that Rose reacts to it with with sympathy and pity,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, of which he has none towards the Daleks, because she she doesn't obviously has no history with these things
2: yeah.
0: and really it, it's, it's a slap in the face to him from her as well uh figuratively yeah. because she is behaving in a way that perhaps he would have once done towards this um this thing that you know as evil as it is and as full of hate as it is it doesn't want to live this way anymore and it yeah. shouldn't ha- it shouldn't be made to yeah
1: the other speaking of Rose, the um the scene where she does like first meet the Dalek and it's speaking really quietly and it's just sort of you know it tortured me and it, it really do feel sort of sorry for the Dalek, but mm. at the back of your mind you know it's oh they' gonna hear it yeah, it's playing you it's playing you yeah. it's playing you and then oh, of course, it, it's course cool he's playing
0: her. But yeah, I'd uh, say i um, I I wonder if you, if you feel the same way as me that this is when it really kicked into high gear, and I I became convinced that this series could work. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Absolutely, this this is definitely top three, I think, out of the entire series. Okay. I don't know if I, I, know if I could rank all of the the shows, um, like. Specifically, because it's it's been quite. I've never actually I haven't had a chance to actually go back and watch the entire series. I am just going off memory here, um, but this is definitely one of the highlights of this series. I mean, because you've it's just great. I mean, yeah, okay, it brings in Adam, but uh, at the same mm. time, you've got a a really slimy piece of shit villain in Van Staten. Yes, and what I like most about him is. He doesn't get killed, but you'd think he would just get completely off by the Dalek. He doesn't. He gets superseded by his assistant, who Van Staten has this thing with subordinates who sort of fail him by getting so getting their memories wiped and then just sort of dumping them off as like a hobo in you know cities. And he gets that turned back on him, and it's just it's just great because it's like death would be too good for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, it's that in that great Doctor two tradition of the supervillain of the piece
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of getting their own punishment reflected back on them yeah so in terms of uh what we know from doctor who it's uh, part of a, a long and uh, much story tradition
1: yeah but yeah uh, on this yeah this is just superb episode uh, this would probably be one of the you know if you're going to get into doctor who this is probably one of the ones you'd Show somebody, yeah,
0: yeah. It's like if if I if someone said to me, "Give me a list of ten episodes from the new series that I should watch," mm-hmm. this is on that on that list without a doubt.
1: Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to mention
0: about? Dalek no, I think we should on. move on to the long game.
1: Ah, so this isn't your favourite
0: then? No, this is where my idea of the series comes in. I really think this episode is guff. It's such a come down after Dalek well, as well. Yes. But yeah, it's it it just doesn't work for me. It's just sort of quite flabby and not it. it the story is pretty weak. I feel for yeah. me, it, there's not a lot to it. And this whole thing of the fourth great and bountiful human empire, you know, if you're a doctor who fan, you kind of know about humanity spread through the stars and, mm-hmm. you know, this and that, you know, this, uh, whatever number great and bountiful human empire we're up to now. Um, yeah. So if you're not a fan and you don't know about that stuff, um, I think, this a lot of this episode's probably gonna lose you. Uh, bloody Bruno Langley as Adam is absolutely risible, and I was so glad when the doctor sacked him. Um it I think, as I've said before, I think it's telling that out of you know, the fact that every bugger in the in the whole Hooniverse comes back in Stone on Earth Journey's End, he yeah. is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I think that's kind of telling. But yeah, I just think it's quite a poor episode. Uh, poor old Simon Pegg is massively underused. Yeah, the Jaggerfest looks like uh, toffee angel delight, suspended in the ceiling with some teeth.
2: Yeah,
0: it's just it just doesn't work for me this one. And it, like I say, it's such a such a come down, and it's such a piece of it's really the shit the shit sandwich between Dalek and Father's Day.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think so. Like the general premise of it is a is decent. I think it's just sort of executed poorly. Mm. Um, I, I like sort like the idea that humanity is being controlled by something like greater, and nobody's any the wiser. But there's just, yeah uh, you know, it's it just doesn't work because I mean, the whole thing with Adam in this episode is he gets this sort of, like, thing installed in his head where he can, like, download information, and he uses that to try and send information back in time to his mother's answer phone so he can then go back and then sort of invent these things, quote-unquote. And when you sort of think about it, the Doctor calls him out on it, what is the Doctor's fault? Yeah. Because he gives... You know what it
0: was like when you brought him along?
1: Yeah, because he gives Rose and Adam, like, this little sort of credit thing, which turns out to be unlimited currency which is stupid really because yep. he then goes they find about find out about this spiking technology which is how they download the information and then he goes and installs and, and starts off this plan and you sort of get a sense that's just working for van staten's rubbed off on him in a yep. very bad way yeah
0: that kind of cynical kind of exploitative part of the of the process, definitely. Also, I'm not very comfortable with the whole idea that the Doctor effectively brought him along as a pet for Rose, which I find kind of icky.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, like, like you say, the Simon Pegg's criminally underused. I, yes. You know, I, I wish he'd been in a better story. Or even, yeah. if, even if he'd sort of like... It turns out that he'd survived, you know, the events of the episode and came back in some way, shape or form. You mm. know what I mean? Because it's just... He's, he's not a bad character. The editor, it's you know he's he's got a very sort of like dry sense of humor, and uh, he does get a bit scary when he's uh, interviewing, I think it was what's her name, Suki, I think. When you, yeah. when she say like you know why do you want to work for you know Satellite Five, and she goes on this thing, and he goes wrong, and then clicks his fingers to like show you know what she's really up to.
0: I mean it, again, it's that great doctor Who tradition of, of the minion of the actual bad guy, yeah uh, that we get to interact with throughout, but yeah, he's just so underused um, mm. and he does his best with it, but he's just got nothing to nothing to work with almost
1: yeah, so I would just say this episode's very, very average. I think if it had been placed if it hadn't been placed after Dalek, like I don't think it would have left as bad a taste in the mouth. Mm, yeah, but I think
0: I I think when I when I go back to watch this series, this is the one I'm like skip.
1: <laughs> uh, you are probably going to hate me for saying this, but the next episode is not. I don't. It's not a bad episode, but it's not my particular favourite. Uh, mm. Father's Day.
0: No, it's not a particular favourite. Again, um, for me, it's not a particular favourite because I'm a continuity nerd. Yeah. So for me to introduce this bloody thing of the Reapers. Yeah. It's like, well, why is not they turn up every other bloody time there's been a paradox, which is loads? Yeah. So there's that aspect to it. But in terms of a of a, of a story point for Rose, I think it's interesting because mm. there's definitely a reading of the show that says, because she isn't into the old idea with travelling with a doctor until he says it travels through time. Yeah. And at that point, you could read that as saying she puts two and two together and says, I could see my dad again. Mm-hmm. Um so in terms of that it's it's if you read the story like that it's quite interesting and it's quite emotionally resonant because who who amongst us hasn't got someone that they wish they could see again even though it will be briefly um so in terms of like if we were on a journey with a doctor i think that would be a temptation for everybody you know just to just this one time go and see this person that person Mm -hmm. um i think it's quite an interesting story i think it's emotionally resonant But, again, it's one of those things of it's like 80% of a good story, but it just doesn't kick into the magnificent part that we kind of ended up taking for granted as time went on. Um, Like you say, and the whole idea of the Reapers, although quite cool, are a massive problem introducing that into a time travel show, which has a lot of paradoxes. Yeah, and and that never get brought up again.
1: Um, Yeah, that's what I was saying, yeah. The kind of problem I... Have with this story is it's you know, it's the whole sort of messing around with time for your own sort of profit. Now, yeah, I love Back to the Future part two, yeah, and it does sort of like great throw up a great sort of like example of alternate time. I don't know, like time mm-hmm. can be written with the alternate 1985 where everything's gone to crap, but I don't know, maybe see, so yeah, I, I think it's because it's sort of like it's sort of like a primal figure of that if I were able to travel through time i would want to go and like change things to my own advantage do you know what i mean and that's kind of what rose does she saves her dad even though he's supposed to die and in the process completely fucks everything up yeah and it's kind of that That
0: sort of of... it's the selfishness aspect of it but again it's the whole thing of well if you're if you're a 19 year old girl who just wants to see her dad again Mm -hmm. um you have the opportunity of a time machine and a bloke who will take you anywhere you want to go essentially why wouldn't you exploit that opportunity because you can't see the big picture you you don't realize the implications because you're just you know how would your dad matter in the whole scheme of things without the thought of you know the paradox is going to introduce and how it would change your history mm-hmm. and again in terms of this story I think it's it's important that it happened because it's introducing this to the to the audience yeah. it's saying to the audience this is why the doctor does things sometimes that don't make sense to you because he can see the big picture whereas yeah. you know a, a companion maybe can't and this is you know, we're kind of getting this whole thing out of the way
1: almost yeah. It, it's you see what I mean? of, yeah, it's also I mean. Yeah, it's also like a precursor to like the the fixed point in time that uh, Stephen Moffat yes. like throws up, um, but like also that where time can be malleable, where you, you can affect it, but ultimately it either has to go back to how it was, or it can like go back to how it maybe supposed to be with some changes, so sort of like in the waters of Mars yeah. where Adelaide kills herself. Itself, yeah, um, but,
0: um, it's also the old thing of that time travel one of things are this way, but we were, we were always meant to intervene in the mm-hmm. idea that it's a, it's, a, it's a time loop that you go around once and come out the other side. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think it's important that this story happened. It's quite emotionally resonant. If you're if you're if you're sitting there identifying with Rose as a character, mm-hmm. you're going to be way into this story because it tells you tons about Rose, and yeah. it, it it really and it and it pro- I think it improves again the Doctor and Rose's relationship yeah. in that they're on more of an even kill, and then they walk away at the end hand in hand is quite lovely. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, I, I say I think it's sort eighty of again, it's sort of that eighty percent of a good episode. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's some, um, there's some great bits of um, when the Doctor returns to the TARDIS and finds just the shell. And he just, like, yeah. freaks out and, like, tries yeah. and find um, the point where he charges up the TARDIS key and then just sort of sticks it in thin air and it slowly starts to, you know, materialise again to try and, like, fix the problem. The other thing that I had with kind of... The, I don't I don't know if there's much of a problem, it's just more, more sort of me, is at the end of the long game when the Doctor dumps Adam back in the present and he says, I only take the best with me, I've got Rose. And then she goes and does this yes it's an so, excellent point it's i don't know it just sort of like strikes me as a bit
0: it's a bit disingenuous in it that you get yeah. rid of um, adam for something that you really you probably could have worked out he was probably gonna do at some point yeah um and the you know rose arguably costs causes much more an our sake um mm. In this whole in this whole process, but she kind of gets away with it. You you wonder if again because this whole softening of the doctor's character, she's the one who's fa- sort of finally broken through to him, broken through this um, this kind of shell of guilt and um, cr- anger that's part of his character. And as such, she kind of has a pass almost, whereas Adam didn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's a it's a very good story. I just. Mm-hmm it's not it just for some it's reason it's just
0: something about it it's just it yeah. just sort of lacks that little extra punch i'm not quite i couldn't tell you what what that is mm-hmm. i i i don't i can't quite put my finger on it but um so it it's it's an episode i've watched a bunch and i enjoy it when i watch it but mm-hmm. um yeah it's it, it's just kind of lacking a little something i think
2: yeah
0: so
1: the empty child and the doctor dances all oh, hail them off and yes. his great works. <laughs> yeah I think this is definitely the best two-parter of the entire series
0: yeah I think I think in terms terms of consistency yeah because it's that old Star Trek problem of have a great episode one and then episode two really goes to pot but MC Child and Doctor Dances are kind of equally good I think episodes and uh, they're great episodes I think it's kind of that that aspect of kind of fun and obviously with Captain Jack you know a nice dollar per camp Mm -hmm. and um kind of a a fun an interesting premise and enough scariness um to kind of mix it all together and make that kind of that sort of uniquely dot two combination, Mm -hmm. I felt that really nailed it. Um there's a story I tell I think I've told it a bunch, but I'll tell it again for the purposes of this podcast in that um I think was it yeah no, it was Empty Child. I was so finally persuaded to leave the house on a Saturday (laughs) and go um, and go out for an evening. So I got my dad to tape this for me mm-hmm. and I came home at two o'clock in the morning, rather worse for wear and thought, well, I better watch Doctor Who. <laughs> so I popped it on and um, when the little boy comes along and says, are you my mummy? For the first time when the tape thing runs out, oh. I turned it off and went to bed because I was shitting myself. <laughs> I couldn't deal with it. I was like, sod this, watch it tomorrow I went to bed. Yeah. It, it, even for a grown woman, albeit inebriated, to be sufficiently scared by an episode of Doctor Who um, I think was uh, quite the uh, triumph on Moffat's part.
1: Yeah, this is probably by far the freakiest episode of uh, the first series because mm. you know, obviously you've got the empty child himself, but also like the bits surrounding him, like the fact that other patients in the hospital have transformed into like similar creatures and there's a bit right at the very end where... Yeah, extreme close up of the the kid, and you can actually see, you know, behind the uh, gas mask goggles, and you can just see like the crane, the skull behind it. So he's literally an empty child. And then you've got Richard Wilson as Doctor Constantine, brilliant actor. The transformation sequence, and that for me that was like wow. I mean, well,
0: probably... I mean, um, it, it, this is I think that scene is what got the DVD in this country rated as a 12. Oh, yeah. Which I think everyone was quite surprised by, yeah. um, which is the equivalent of PG-13 over in the States. Um, and we thought, wow, really? Why? And then, you know, you go back and watch this and you think, yeah. oh, that's why. Oh, yeah. Why. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh,
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, God, I i still don't know how they even got away with that, because I'm still trying to decide which is sort of the, the freakier bit dr constantine's transformation or cassandra sort of popping at the end of End of the world which, mm. what do you think
0: i think it's a toss-up between the two i think that i know that they kind of toned down uh dr constantine's transformation i think mm-hmm. because um in the original edit i think that the soundtrack had a lot more sort of crunchy bone snapping kind yeah. of noises yeah and they toned that down but it's pretty horrifying i mean especially like when his eyes start turning to the glass yeah that stuff it's really weird and um yeah, pretty strong stuff uh, for for a Saturday tea time, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think it's one of that. It's a two part which is just loads of fun as well. You have got all the, uh, you know, sort of knocking around with Captain Jack and the squareness <laughs> gun and the bananas yeah. and yeah, all that yeah. stuff, you know. And, and even the patient, Dr. Constantine, that elderly ladies says, you know didn't uh, have two legs when I came in here and all this sort of thing. Have <laughs> you, know, you miscounted yeah. the County? There is a war yeah. on and all this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we can't, we can't not talk about the triumphant debut of John Barrowman as uh, Captain Jack. Barrowman! Barrowman! Honestly, yeah. I mean... Yeah. What what bless him. He just hits the the ground running with this.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, I mean, obviously you sort of, um, you know, there's a lot to talk about with Captain Jack. I mean, as we go through the, the series... Um, but here you just think he's he's perfect for the Tardis crew. I mean, he sort of brings a lot of life to it. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of nails their colours to the mast about you know the the whole uh, controversial in air quotes gay agenda yeah. um, that sort of came up throughout. Yeah, he's just he's a character who just sort of brings loads of fun to the proceedings and sort of cheekiness and this whole idea of him being a time agent and although that's something that didn't really <laughs> pay off as the series went on, yeah. it's sort of sufficiently intriguing for now that you sort of think, ooh, what's gonna come out of that? And um obviously what ends up happening to him has quite the implications as we go through. But mm-hmm. um yeah, um a character I really enjoy watching on Doctor Who, not on Torchwood. <laughs> Yeah, and an and important distinction because they're two entirely separate characters.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say anything more about Jack Harkness because he's just you can't like not like him. Even no, you can't. Even though he's a little less than sort of uh, honourable in, in this story, because obviously he does, get, he does get better. But one thing I wanted to talk about was my you know, Moffat's writing and introducing the fact that it's sort of like teenage pregnancy and stuff, especially during like the time of the Blitz where it was... I mean, you know, I don't think it's so much frowned upon today, but, you know, back in the time, it was really sort of... Yeah, you know, it was, was not an honourable thing to do. I mean, no,
0: I mean, and um, as, a, as a Londoner myself, it being, um, and all my family coming from here, it's sort of something that's very much in our cultural dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, the Blitz, and I mean, because everyone either has or had relatives which lived through the blitz were evacuated so it's it's one of those things have you always heard stories about the black market and kids running around with no one looking after them and wrecks of buildings and fires and Stuff like that, so it, it it's kind of almost where well, uh, sort of aliens and other World War Three fell down is that it hints mm-hmm. at that darkness and there's definitely hints that there's some very inappropriate stuff going on with that bloke who's obviously getting black market uh, di- uh, meat of, of some from somebody. Yeah, um, some very kind of dark implications there, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take it to the next step and go too far with it. It yeah. just sort of leaves it as a hint, and when you go back and watch it you kind of think, oh, OK, I'm going kind to of miss that on the transmission.
2: Mm.
0: And it just it just lets you fill it in yourself. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take it to the next step, which I feel like Aliens of London did. Yeah. And sort of like the fluffier
1: bits sort of help, help offset it as well. Because um, mm. obviously you've got the resolution of the cliffhanger, where basically the Doctor tells all like, the, uh, the gas masks zombies to go to their room which is just that's just brilliant i just love that especially when he goes i'm glad that worked. that would have been terrible last words
0: yeah Um, and it's such a moffat thing as well i mean obviously that's something we're going to get used to but it's such a moffat get out of a of a (laughs) of a a sticky wicket for the doctor Yeah. yeah um it's it's just a great story and it's and this is sort of the beginning of why back in these days um as the series went on we'd always look forward to the moffat story
1: yeah oh yeah I mean, and also the, the visual effects, I think these are, you know, say End of the Worlds had great visuals. Also, the fact that they managed to, like, render London in the period, and you've got the whole sequence of the rose dangling from the balloon, which is, uh, kind of doesn't really work for me, but it's, it's still a great sequence. <coughs> the fact she sort of like, gets tied up on this, this yeah. balloon and goes um, over the Well, way. I
0: mean, the fact that... One of the accusations, especially in the 80s, was that it was cheap Mm. and, um, you know, very, very clearly so. So I think that they were quite insistent on showing them, showing us the money, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to really kind of deflect those things. Because, again, the the lazy, inverted commas, journalism in this country, you know, that's what that's the old standby. That's what you're going to go to in terms of criticising the show. It looks cheap. You know, the sets are wobbly. Yeah. So they really want to show you that, no, we've got proper effects done by proper people who've won Oscars and other awards. So, yep, yeah, I think that that's what they're trying to do there.
1: Yeah. So shall we move on to Boomtown?
0: Let's move on to Boomtown. Come on then. Unleash Hell, Mike.
1: Uh, Why well, don't we really know if we can unleash Hell? It's, such, it's just this one didn't really work for me. It's nice to have some continuity um, by having Blunt-Fell-Fodge pass my Ladine, Sladeen, aka okay, Margaret Blaine, back. And there are some, like, good scenes with her when she's sort of, like, trying to justify herself to the Doctor, but he just keeps shooting her down, and then she turns the tails on him. But on the whole, this just sort of, like, strikes me as a bit of filler. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just, sort of like, some, something to take up the time slot until you get the series finale. And... yeah. It's
0: just well, know. and as well, the it's such a colossal cop out at the end. To, yeah, to, for her to look into the heart of the Tardis and mm-hmm. end up back as an egg, and you know that they she could, and the egg looks like absolute shit because it's just a basic <laughs> ostrich egg with some uh, pipe cleaners stuck to it. Yeah, you know so. I enjoy. I really like the the scene with the Doctor and Margaret in the restaurant yeah. with this argument about morality and what's mm-hmm. going to happen to her if she goes back. Uh, that I really like. But again, it's one of the things of Rose behaves like an ass towards Mickey, yeah. um, like really badly. Oh yeah, <laughs> you drag him all the way to bloody Cardiff to essentially get a passport, a passport off him. Yeah, and you know she just treats him so shittily, which he finally calls her out on, mm-hmm. but she kind of manages to. Grease out of um, because she's cute or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's there's enjoyable stuff in this. Again, any any scene with Jack in is just loads of fun, and um, I again, I like the scene where she's escaping out of the window and yeah. the doctor goes run after her going, Margaret, you know, so <laughs> that's really fun. It's one of those stories that you know if we're if we're just watching it for like a clip or something because we're sort of trying to work out something or that it, it inevitably stays on. TV. Yeah. It, it's one that always sort of is quite watchable. That if you again, if, if we're sort of flicking around the channels and there's, it's 20 minutes in, we'll watch the end. But yeah, again, it's one of those things for me, it's kind of sort of 80% of a good story, but mm. because it, it, it brings out the worst in rows
2: yeah.
0: um, as <laughs> if, if something that's going to continue to great, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story is pretty dumb and ends in a colossal cop out.
2: Yeah.
0: It, it doesn't quite work.
1: Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know. There's very much more we can say about. Uh, There's
0: not. I mean, that's the other thing about it is that, like you say, it's purely filler. Yeah. Because like you, you've you've got to get towards the the, the closing to parter. Uh, again, it's sort of sort of this whole idea of having a, an overarching story.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. You know, if you hadn't seen uh, Aliens of Under World War Three, you're going to be pretty baffled by this episode. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea that moving away from this thing that American telly does, or used to do, in that you you know can't have overarching stories you turn off the casual viewers, eek no. Yeah. Um, so this whole kind of Buffy-ish idea of having things which come back even from many episodes ago, which didn't entirely seem all that significant. Yeah. Um it's kind of like like you say, it's purely like, oh, who could we bring back just for an episode of talking and a cheap one that we haven't got to put any much in the way of effects in? Um, and really, it was a sort of a thing of, oh, we've written the, the, the finale where the heart of the TARDIS is a big part of it, mm-hmm. but no one's going to know what it is. So let's just quickly introduce
1: it an episode before. Yeah. This might have worked a little bit better if it had been placed slightly earlier in the series, just so you could like have the heart of TARDIS bit... Without like being like like a eleventh hour sort of thing, if you, yeah. know, if you know what I
0: mean. Well, I mean, you know, theoretically, what if they'd made this episode three,
1: The hmm. um,
0: or or, or or um, in before Dalek, in that you have a sort of a spillover from Aliens of London, so like, and you yeah yeah so like you know you have a spillover London. from that, and that Mickey and Rose get this kind of. This kind of, they can clear up some business earlier yeah. on in the series, so we're kind of past that. Yeah, it's not exactly restitution, but it's, it's no. sort
1: of, it sort of clears the air a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So, Bad Wolf and the Parting of the Ways.
2: Uh, mm.
1: Hmm. I, the biggest problem I have with the first part is the whole Big Brother, Weakest Link, what not to wear sort of far future versions of it just mm. strikes me as being a bit lazy um well, as
0: well i think it's i think it's going to date horrendously as yeah, well um yeah. i mean it's starting to now because what not to wear hasn't been on the telly for what about you know, five years so yeah. so I mean, you know, I can imagine me showing this to my kids or saying if we have them in the future and having to explain who Trini and Susanna are, even though at the point that this was made, they were huge. Everyone knew who Trini and Susanna were. Yeah, yeah. I just think it it dates it immensely. Um, And yeah, as well, it's sort of that thing of we've got an hour's worth of story for our finale, but we need another half an hour to make it up. So let's do this
1: thing at the beginning. Yeah. The problem I have with it is it's just it it, it. it just strikes me as a bit lazy because you, you're using sort of like shows that we're familiar with at this point in time. Like, there's, there's no guarantee that any of these shows would still be around in, you know, whatever hell year this is. You'd think, like, maybe, he's, you know, say what you will about Russell T Davis, but he does have a great mind, he does come up with some great concepts. Mm. Like, just like, why couldn't you maybe just, like. Or, or even if you just, like, sort of, like, threw it open to, like, the production office, like, say, come up with ideas for, like, future television show, Like, television shows you might be watching in the future. It doesn't have to be specifically Big Brother all The Weakest, like, what not to wear. But even if you just sort of, like, got... even it was just, like, something in the same, sort of, oeuvre as it Yeah, were, just sort
0: of a quiz show, even. I mean, because yeah. everyone understands... The language of a quiz show. Even if you're not familiar with the exact format, you mm-hmm. kind of understand what you're looking at. Yeah. So, you know, that's why the that's why the numberwang sketch is funny, Mitchell and Webb. It's because it's a nonsense game show,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but you understand the language that they're using because it's like every game show you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it like you say. I just think it dates it. It, it comes across as lazy. Um, it's an excuse to kind of elbow some ce- minor celebs in there again. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sort of strikes me as kind of padding the story out until we beat Linda with a Y. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, this first half doesn't really go very far until maybe it's like the last 15 minutes, if that, when you sort of like get to see the people behind Satellite 5. And as you mm-hmm. find out that where they've landed, is just like a 100 years after the long game where things... Are- gone even further to shit and it's like not until like rose seemingly gets taken out of the game as it were that it starts to kick off you know you got the the doctor and jack and lynn just like fighting their way into the control room and what have you and then you f- find out about you know who the master the true master which is of course the daleks and the emperor dalek yes yeah. Yeah, it was it again. Uh, the,
0: the point that came back to when we were talking about Dalek, the uh, episode six, mm-hmm. that having established what one can do when you're suddenly uh, suddenly confronted with half a million of them, yeah. led by a huge barking mad um, Dalek emperor, you really think, oh crap now what are we going to do, sort of thing. It, it seems entirely hopeless.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ending of Bad Wolf is great when the, the Doctor, like, shouts down the Daleks and he he yeah. says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to save Rose, I'm going to wipe every last one of you from the sky, and the Dalek goes, well, you've got no weapons, no backup, no plan, and the Doctor yeah. goes, yeah, and doesn't that scare you to death? That's probably one of the highlights of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor for me, because mm. y- you you know that he doesn't have anything to his name, but he's going he's gonna to will well do it is going to mess some shit up mm. i do sort of like the um the emperor dalek with the sort of the god complex mm. which, which does make sense because obviously they've all the people who have been uh seemingly killed in uh, the game the games and like on shows like uh, big brother they're actually getting transported to the dalek ship so they can be you know sifted and, used. Pulled and yeah used as you new know, dalek fodder
0: well um again uh, thank you very much revelation of the daleks for this one. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. <laughs> I'll make a confession at this point. Um mm-hmm. because I wasn't although I watched every episode uh, mostly on transmission and um was avidly reading books or what have you. We didn't I didn't have the internet uh, in my parental home at that point. Mm-hmm. So I entirely missed the bad wolf stuff. I did ah. not notice it at all. Apart from the when that kid spray-paints Bad Wolf onto the TARDIS, mm-hmm. entirely passed me by. So this whole thing of Rose putting the words Bad Wolf back through time yeah. meant nothing to me. I absolutely missed it.
1: Yeah, probably of all sort of like arc words, as they're known throughout Doctor Who, this probably is the one where it's sort of, well, yeah, it does get paid off, but sort mm. of retroactively in a way. Yeah, it's
0: sort of, sort of one of those things of, oh, like, I've got to go back and watch it and see what we can spot it. Yeah. Um, it's not like... Because Series 2 had Torchwood as the arc word, mm-hmm. but that had been set up sufficiently in, in the Christmas Invasion, because yeah. we get the whole idea of Torchwood being the thing that brings a Sycorax ship down. Mm-hmm. So when you're you're hearing Torchwood, it's it's much clearer, and the references they had yeah. were much more explicit. The The Harold Saxon stuff in Series 3, again, is... It's much more. It's much more uh, in your face. You yes. you'd have to work hard to miss it, as opposed to the Bad Wolf stuff, which yeah. you really have to be scouring some of these episodes to find it. I mean, in um, in uh, Doctor Dances. Oh no, not Doctor Dances. it's in in the Empty Child. Mm-hmm. The 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 Bad Wolf reference is spray painted onto the side of the metal cylinder. Yeah. In German. Yeah, that was the bar. And it it doesn't actually say... (laughs) What made me laugh is I found out later, it doesn't actually say bad wolf because it's a bad translation. Uh If you translate it properly into German, it it says rubbish wolf. Yeah, that's
1: kind of that, actually. Um, Yeah.
0: But um, the point is that this whole idea of arc words and stuff, obviously taken pretty much verbatim from Buffy, and this whole idea of things building up through a season, Mm -hmm. fine, but you have to make it... You have to make it clear for the dumb people at home who don't have the internet and aren't scouring forums for people who have screen capped the throw forward yeah. for next week and are scrutinising things in the background and, you know, who are writing out scenes, you know, writing out the scripts and things like that, you know, because um, although it seems out of my peer group, it seems to be, I seem to be the only person who missed it. I can't believe that there were people who were watching this casually who fully
1: got that. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I think Parting of the Ways is the better episode of the two, because you've got, like, bits like Jack trying to rally, you know, the, the people on Floor Zero, and, you know, not all of them do it, and mm-hmm. some of them just abject cowards. Uh, you've got <coughs> the Doctor, it's actually, essentially fooling Rose to go back to the present. Um, mm. He gets her to, uh, you know, go into the TARDIS, and... Uh, he actually sets off uh, Emergency Program 1, which sends it back in time. Um, and the bit with the hologram was just great, especially, you know, even though it's recording, there's this bit where, he, you know, he turns, the, the hologram turns to Rose and says goodbye to her, and like, the the filtering on his voice goes. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's a great moment. And, you know, you get uh, you get the payoff of the the heart of the TARDIS, which I still think it would have been better if had the set Boomtown like a little bit earlier in the series (laughs) yeah so you kind of knew about it yeah yeah. so and more sort of like you could get rose just having like a eureka moment so she just goes yeah that's how i can get back to the doctor by using Mm. the heart of the tardis so you have it you have boomtown early enough in the series where it would probably slip her mind a little bit but then when she's like railing against it's like how unfair she finds it to be stuck back in the 21st century and just going through her normal life when she's seen something better you know, you 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 make a stand, you say no, and all that. I think it would have worked better for the part of TARDIS Deus Ex Machina payoff had you to like had this like, uh, like revelation. Yeah, the yeah. lightbulb moment. Mm. So, what, what did you think of the the whole invasion of Satellite Five?
0: I say it was it was just nice to see the Daleks kind of on mass, but mm-hmm. also kind of in a way that. I think we'd always, always imagined them to be, but yeah. had never been able to see them because of restrictions in the budget. So to come and see them masked like that was, was pretty cool and something that I enjoyed. And yeah. I remember enjoying enjoying the heckings out of this story when it was on, even though the, the bad wolf stuff passed me by. And yeah. um, Rose, when she's railing against how unfair it is to be back in 21st century, I did want to actually just come and give her a bit of a smack and think, oh, my God. God, please, can you just do something, not moaning, and be horrible to Mickey and Jackie, which you always are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's sort of a, a, a duo of stories I enjoyed. I think the part of the ways is, is is the better episode, because it's yeah. sort of all action. Um, you're not kind of waiting around for something to happen, which you are in uh, Bad Wolf.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think probably one of the best bits about uh, the, the Dalek attack is when poor Linda gets... Oft, Yes, poor old she, Linda. She, I mean, she's sealed herself into this observation room, and uh, she thinks she's safe, but obviously since the dolls can fly, especially more so in the vacuum of space, you just see this one sort of pop up behind her, and what's great about it is you can actually see, it's sort of like flight's flash, as it says exterminate, and then just, mm. bam! And that's it for her. So, the time goddess.
0: Yeah, the time goddess... Mm. yes we should have called her the deus ex machina goddess really shouldn't we yeah. um yeah so there is that i mean obviously it, it's something that comes which lends itself to later stories because obviously bad wolf comes up again much later on mm-hmm. jack games his immortality which obviously becomes a huge a huge part of uh, a lot of stories
2: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah it's sort of a bit like we don't know how to get out of this so let's just make rose magic
1: yeah i don't I, you know i'm i'm kind of lost for words I, I can't really think of how i feel about it because it, it's such
0: mm. a... it, it's one of those things of like you you just sort of have to accept it because that's what happens and you can't yeah. and because we're not writers or anything we can't really think of a way they could have ended it any better
2: mm. um
0: because you know they had to get the doctor to regenerate because eccleston was leaving yeah. um they had to think of a way to get rid of half a million Daleks, yeah, um, yeah. you know, kind of successfully with like five guys and most of those are dead. Um, it it was, you know, you you struggle to think of another way they could have done it, but as a viewer from the outside, you just sort of, you, your, t- your brain tends to label endings like this as cheesy bollocks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. So finally, the regeneration scene. Mm, yes obviously we haven't seen matt smith regenerate so obviously oh. you're not going to know how the <coughs> how the 11th doctor takes it but of the 9th doctor's regeneration and the 10th doctor's regeneration i kind of prefer this one okay no. Well,
0: because the Tenth, the tenth Doctor is quite, you know, he doesn't go easily, but he's sort of a bit in a self-pitying way, whereas yeah. this Doctor, although he rages against it and he's angry that he's got to go, mm-hmm.
2: he's
0: he's done it for, an, like, a, a purpose. It's kind of the yeah. Fifth Doctor saving Perry type thing. Yeah. He, you know, he's sort of saying, oh, you stupid ape or whatever, but, you know, you sort of always get this sense of he was glad that he's gone this for way. a good reason. Yeah, yeah. that You know, that he's gone out saving somebody and... It's not this kind of... Because you get the impression that maybe he regenerated from eight to nine as a result of the time war. Yeah. You know, that he was... This whole idea of him being born into battle. Yeah, from so, the fallout. From yeah, the so, fallout. So, so you know, him, maybe
1: is,
0: yeah, it's a sense of relief, almost, that he's gone out doing something honourable.
1: Yeah. It's great how he sort of, like, tries to sort of, like, ease Rose into it. He doesn't just regenerate. Yeah. He like, says, oh, you, you know, know I'm going to
0: change and...
1: Yeah. And you know, you know, I'm not going to see again. Well, not with this face. He says he's, you know, he, he sort of like passes on the, uh, the fact that he still will be the Doctor. He'll just look completely, looking at Different. differently. That doesn't really work because obviously when you see the Christmas invasion. Um But yeah, I think it's. A, it's I kind of prefer this regeneration over tenants regeneration, Tenets. just because, like you say, the Doctor's sort of like not quite happy. But you know, this is how he'd rather go out. You know, rather than sort of complaining about the unfairness and all, and, you know, I don't want to go. He's, he's sort of satisfied that he did it saving his friend. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's pretty much... So, overall, Series 1... Yeah. Overall,
0: I think it it's sort of one of those things. It's kind of like season one of all of your favourite shows. They're always a bit weird. Yeah, they always kind of have episodes that don't quite work because they're trying to work out exactly what they're doing and Mm -hmm. what works for this character, that character. I think I can only call most of it solid rather than great. Uh, There are some standouts I really like. Obviously, like Dalek. I think part of the ways has got a lot of good stuff in it, despite the ending there's a lot to enjoy and even the episodes that we've sort of said don't really work as well. Like father's day or I'm quite dead. And I mean, I think in, if you were watching any other show, you'd be very pleased to have those episodes in your, um, in your Canon. It is it, one of those. It, it's a season that I can only say is is just a solid foundation. It's not yeah. spectacular. It's fine. Um, as is well known, do- Eccleston is not by no means my favourite Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go back and watch him, you think, oh well, I can understand why he was cast. Yeah. Especially in episodes like Dalek and uh, Father's Day, where he's having to do kind of more dramatic stuff rather yeah. than chasing around a, a little pig man in an alien suit. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, when he gets to work those dramatic chops, he he does it a lot better and um, is really enjoyable to watch. I mean, Rose, although she um, is not always the sort of the easiest character to get along with because she does things that I personally don't like, especially her treatment of Mickey and her mum, she's, you know, an interesting character and has a lot of depth and I think actually um, is amazingly well portrayed by Billy Piper. I think she does a, a smashing job. Yeah. Um she's I mean she's really apart from some accent wobbles, she's really convincingly this girl. Um, you know, I think we've all met people like Rose, you know, who have kind of just ordinary people and it's this idea that the doctor takes people who sort of in ordinary lives and takes mm-hmm. them on this a, a spectacular journey, one that's not always fun, but isn't boring by yeah. its imagination. Mm-hmm. So, really, going by those parameters, it's it's um, it's extremely successful. And I think we forget in the in these days where the show being a success is kind of taken for granted. Yeah. What a massive gamble this was, and for it to basically come out of the gates and you know have eight people, eight million people watching it every week uh, oh, yeah. for thirteen weeks, just sort of ab- sort of out of nothing.
1: Yeah. Um, is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, if this series hadn't worked out as well, I mean, okay, let's let's be honest, it's not the best. No, nah, it's but not. It's a good, it's a good start. Yeah, there's some bumps along the way, but they're finding their feet. I mean, this is the first Doctor Who the BBC's produced since 1989.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing about with, with the Dalek, when they had to make their own props. Mm. Um, I'd recommend this a uh, book called uh, About... Uh, there's a series of books about dot who called About Time
2: yeah,
0: uh, done by a chap called Tatwood. And um, Volume 7 has literally just come out this week, which covers Series 1 and 2 of the new series. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've just started reading it myself, but it's an excellent read and it really gets into the background of all the stories and um, what was happening with the production. Um, so I'd recommend anyone to read that and um yeah, really expand you know what sort of your background knowledge of what was happening in the show um but yeah, like I say, you just forget what an immense risk this was, oh
1: yeah, and um you know like
0: worked? like you said, if this hadn't worked we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this. It no. would, you know, we would be sort of looking back on it. I think we'd all own the DVD, yeah. but we'd be, you know, we'd be sitting there picking it apart and going sort of what went wrong. And, you know, another, another failed Doctor Who endeavour. Mm-hmm. And I think this would have killed it stone dead. I think, you know, maybe yeah. we'd still have Doctor Who magazine and some of the big finish stuff. But um, other than that...
1: On television, this would have... That would d- have been killed it dead. Absolutely.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Even if we were talking about another 20 years time i think you know you'd have people from the bbc looking back on this and say well tried it once and it didn't work so um absolutely would have killed on doctor who on television forever
1: if this hadn't worked absolutely i couldn't agree more so (laughs) you know there may be some people who rail against series one but do you know what it means we got doctor who back
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, this is something that I've often brought up. You know, I'm obviously hanging out with older fans who remember it from when it was on in the 70s and 80s and mm-hmm. even before, sort of railing against this series, saying, you know, it's too soapy and, you know, too much emphasis on Rose and uh, a million other criticisms. And I said, look, I will take the worst episode of Doctor Who on the TV, because it's on the TV. And I've yeah. never, I've never had been able to have this before. Everyone, you know, I felt that, It was taken for granted, really, by sort of fans who lived through the first wave of WHO, um, especially. Controversial as that may seem, you know, just to have it back and be successful was so beyond my wildest dreams. I would take, like I say, you know, even watching a long game, which I think, you know, still think is a poor episode, I think, well, there's always next week, and Mm -hmm. it's amazing there's going to be a next week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What What more can you say?
0: Yes, indeed. I mean, as a series, I can only really give it generously, maybe six and a half out of ten. Mm. But I'll take a six and a half out of ten series one of Doctor Who over a lot of other stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much all we can say about uh, series one. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, so thank you very much, Emma, for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Cheers, Mike. And uh, we'll see you all next time.
0: Greatest Show in the Galaxy is produced by Emma Foster and Michael Mole for the Simply Syndicated 21st Century Media Network. Be sure to check out our Simply Syndicated sister podcasts, including Movies You Should See, Take It or Leave It, for those about to Rock, Remote Patrol, Autometry Award 9000, Starbase 66 and Nerd hurdles. If you like what you hear, you can contact us at Show at simplysyndicated.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast or on Twitter at Greatest Pod.